0: When it comes to to handymaning skills, I don't have any. I I know virtually nothing about construction work of any sort. When I help do handyman stuff or construction work, I typically tell the person I'm helping that I bring two things to the task at hand. I bring a strong back and a weak mind. Uh, If there's something that needs to be picked up and carried, I can probably pick it up and carry it. If you need me to do something mindless, like just paint the wall or tear something down, I can do that. But if you need to know how many board feet you need to fix something, I have no idea what to do. I am not skilled in those sort of things. But from what I do understand about building and about construction, the foundation is extremely important. Um, In fact, I read some things that said it may be the most important part of the house. Right. That if the foundation is strong, then the building will probably do okay. But if the foundation is weak, if the foundation is not well made, then really it doesn't it's not going to matter how well constructed the house is. Eventually, there will be problems. This will be, I think, especially evident when it comes to days like today. A solid foundation would make a difference in a day like today about how a house and how things would stand. And our lives are the same way. What we choose as the foundation of our lives will determine how well we stand up when the storms come into our lives. If we choose a weak foundation, it won't matter how strong our lives look, we still won't be able to be standing when the storms hit our lives. But if we build on the right foundation, we will have sturdy ground to stand on as we weather the storms that will inevitably come to all of our lives. Jesus has told us what the right foundation to build on is. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49 is what we're going to look at. Hopefully that's on page 787 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's word. Jesus said, Now why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when there was a flood, the river burst against that house and yet it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly, is like a man who built his house on a ground on the ground without a foundation. And the river burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Title of the message tonight is The Solid Foundation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We thank you, Lord, uh, that while we can know that there is a need for a solid foundation. Father, apart from your word, we wouldn't know exactly what that foundation ought to be. Your word shows us not only what the foundation is, but what we need to do to, to build on that foundation. Help us tonight to take what you've shown us in this word, to take it and apply it to our lives, and help us, Father, to be a people of the book whose lives are founded and built upon the steady rock of your word. Fill me with your spirit tonight. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to be able to say what you once said. Father, nothing more, nothing less. Use this to strengthen us and encourage us, challenge us and help us to be who we ought to be. We ask in the mighty name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as I understand it, the climate of Israel is very similar to what we experience here. It's usually very dry. doesn't rain an awful lot. But when it does rain, when there are heavy rains, it takes a while for the ground to absorb the water, which can lead to flooding. Uh, The heavy rains, when they come, often do lead to a flood. And because of this, builders had to be careful where they built and how they built when they were constructing a house. During the summer months, a place might seem like it had a solid, sturdy foundation uh, and yet when the rains would come, it would wash out and the house would fall down if it had not been properly constructed with a good foundation. But when building a house, a builder had a choice to make. Right? He could dig down deep and he could lay a solid foundation or he could ignore the need to dig down deep and do a solid foundation and just sort of build his house on the top. And not do what was necessary to make sure the house would stand. Now, as with anybody anywhere in the world, there were always those who would do just that. They knew what would happen when the rains came. They knew that they needed to dig a foundation. But they would stomp around on the ground. They would say, seem solid to me. And they would go ahead and build on top of the ground. And they would suffer the necessary consequences. Jesus is teaching us that just as a builder has a choice about the foundation for his house, we have a choice about the foundation for our lives. We can build on shifting sand that will not allow us to weather the storms, or we can build our lives on a solid foundation that will enable us to withstand the storms we face. Now, Jesus said the house that stands is dug down deep and in the foundation is laid upon the rock. And we need to know because of that, what rock is he talking about? Now, some we might say would be God would be our rock. It's common, like in the Psalms, to see God described as a rock. Our rock and our fortress, our strength and our shield. Things like that are often said about God. And yet in this instance, God himself is not the rock that Jesus is talking about. We could also say Jesus is a rock. Peter mentions Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Paul says Jesus is a rock. And yet again, as we look at this passage, even Jesus himself is not the rock that he's speaking of. As we look at what he says here, it is clear that the rock Jesus is speaking about is God's word. And so what Jesus is telling us is God's word is the only solid foundation for our lives. God's word is the only solid foundation for our lives. And not only is God's word the only solid foundation for our lives, but he tells us why, he tells us, I'm sorry, I lost my place, why this matters by telling us the story of, of two builders. Now, the story, the builders are similar in many ways. Both build houses. And I think from the story, we're supposed to understand they build in similar locations. Right? He's not talking about one builds in the panhandle of Oklahoma and the other one builds in Israel. He's talking about people around in that same area build two houses. And since it's in the same area, the houses are probably identical in their construction. Houses were very, very uh, similar in the way they were built at this time. And then both houses went through storms. Same sort of storm, exact same kind of storm. The rains came, the floods came against it. But this is where the similarities end. One house stands through the storm and the other house falls in the storm. But the house doesn't merely fall. Jesus says in the last of verse 49 that the house collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. So I think the implication from the words of Jesus is the house is destroyed. The house didn't suffer some damage. The house didn't lose some shingles. There wasn't a bit of wind damage. The house was completely collapsed. It was utterly ruined. It was just a pile of rubble when it was done. And while the image of a house is used here, Again, the story makes it clear Jesus is really talking about our lives. And we are all one builder or the other as we seek to build our lives. And again, there are many similarities. We are all building our lives. We are all building under similar circumstances and a similar culture. We all go through storms. The same sort of storms come into all of our lives. We all face them. The difference will be in what happens when the storm comes against us. And how we bear up to the storm. Some will face the storm with great pain, great difficulty. And yet they will come through with their faith in Jesus. And their service and devotion to Jesus still intact. But others will go through the same storm and they will be devastated and they will be decimated and their faith and their service and their devotion to Jesus will never again be the same. What makes the difference between the two houses? What makes the difference between these two lives? It's the foundation they chose to build their lives upon. One of the many truths God's Word makes clear is that storms will come into all of our lives. And as we see in our text, they will come into our lives whether we build on the right foundation or whether we build on the wrong foundation. They will come into our lives whether we are deeply devoted disciples of Jesus or whether we are atheists or agnostics or Muslims or anything else. There is no way to go through life and avoid The difficulties and the storms and the trials and the hardships, they just come. We live in a fallen, sin-cursed world that guarantees at some point the floods will come and it will bang against the walls of our house. The only difference in that time is going to be what foundation we have chosen to build our lives on. This difference will determine... Whether we weather the storm because we're well built or whether we collapse and the ruin of our lives is great. If our lives have been carefully built, if we have chosen wisely, if we have dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock of God's word. We will survive the storms that inevitably come. God's word is the only solid foundation we can build our lives on that will sustain us through whatever hardships and whatever difficulties we may face in life. But as we look at this passage, it's important that we also notice it's not just God's word itself, but it's acting on God's word, right? Verse 47. Everyone who comes to me, And hears my words and and acts on them. And then verse 49. But the one who has heard and has not acted. I believe one of the main reasons people crumble during the storms of life. And one of the reasons we so often blow it in our lives. Is because we fail to read and do what God has told us to do in his word. God has given us his word. To teach us about Himself, who He is and and what He's like. To tell us about Jesus, who He is and what He's done and, and why He's important in life. To tell us about salvation, how we can be saved, why we need to be saved and just life in general. How we ought to act and how we ought to be and what we ought to do. And even though we have this wondrous resource in our hands, the best of us often fail to consult it about what to do in a given situation. And not only do we fail to consult it to find out what to do, even if we do consult it, unfortunately, many times we don't do what we've seen it says we ought to do. Now, this is important because Jesus tells us both builders heard the word of God, right? Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words. Verse 49, the one who has heard. So he's not speaking of, of two people. One who is a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus. And the other is a dirty, rotten, wicked sinner who hates God and hates the church. It's not that. We could probably say both builders go to church. Perhaps we could... Possibly say both builders even read God's Word outside of church. But still, one stands and the other collapses. And what makes the difference is what they do with what they learn. One hears God's Word and he acts on it. He puts it into practice. The other hears but doesn't act. And that the act of doing is what lays the foundation that enables us to stand. Those who are doers of the word put it into practice. Their lives are properly built. They have the right foundation. And they will stand when the storms come against them. And again, I think this is important, the doing part, because if, if we're not careful. We can get the idea that God's word was given. For intellectual stimulation alone. We want to have loads of Bible knowledge, and so we study to know more. I, I think every group, Christian group, has their own particular dangers that they are prone to. I think this is a very Baptist danger. As Baptists, we are people of the book. That is a key aspect of Baptist doctrine. Whether it's free will Baptist or missionary Baptist or southern Baptist or general Baptist or independent Baptist, we, we are a people of the book. And we can tell you why we believe what we believe about the book. And we'll argue with you about why we believe what we believe about the book. And if you're going to argue with us, you'd better come with what the book says about what you believe the book says. Because we're we're not going to listen to, well, I had an experience. We're not going to listen to what my granny taught me. We're not going to listen to what a preacher on TV said. What we're going to do is what one fella in our church told another fella: Stop your talking, boy, and give me some book. That's what we're going to do. That's how we are wired as Baptists to be. And that is a a good thing. That is one of the reasons I am a free will Baptist is because of our devotion, our commitment to be a people of the book. But a danger in that is that we become a people of the knowledge of the book more than we are a people of the doing of the book. And if we study, and if we listen, and if we gain all of this knowledge, but we don't do anything about it, the reality is the new knowledge, it's pointless to gain it. Knowledge without action is useless. In fact, according to the book, knowledge without action can be worse than pointless. Because 1 Corinthians 8 1 says knowledge can make us arrogant. King James knowledge puffs up. The context of the passage is it makes us, it makes us arrogant and hard to get along with. Difficult. Not really Christ like. It can turn us into Pharisees. Who oppose Jesus and keep us from being like Jesus who is our Lord. The book is meant to be lived out. It, it's not. What I like to say is it's not a textbook as much as a manual. And here's my explanation of the difference between a textbook and a manual. To me, a textbook just gives you information. It tells you how big something is. It tells you the dimensions of it. It tells you so many things about it, but it doesn't really help you to do anything. But a manual, a manual shows you how to do things. Army manuals that I had when I was an infantry soldier showed us everything that we needed to do. Here's how you shoot and get an accurate sight picture. Here's how you dig a fighting position. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. They were they weren't meant to just increase our knowledge. They were meant to show us how to do something. God's word is the same way. It's meant to show us how to do something, how to be something, how to take it and put it into practice in our lives. I like what one of my commentaries says about this. Knowledge must become action. Theory must become practice. Theology must become life. There is little point in consulting a doctor about our health unless we're prepared to act on those things we're told. There is little point in going to an expert unless we're prepared to act on the advice given to us. And yet, there are thousands of people who listen to the teaching of Jesus Christ every Sunday and have very good knowledge of what Jesus taught and who yet make little Or no deliberate attempt to put it into practice. Nowhere in God's word do we find the idea that God's word is meant to make us smarter. Rather God's word is given to change our lives. The longest chapter in God's word is Psalm 119. And it is all about God's word. And many times in that psalm the psalmist prays for God to help him know the word better. But then he follows it by explaining why he wants to know it better. Look at this. It says, first, I shall run in the way of your commandments for you enlarge my heart. But notice this next part. Teach me the way of your statutes. Why? And I will comply with it until the end. Give me understanding. Why? So that I may comply with your law and keep it with all of my heart. He wasn't wanting greater knowledge to argue with people. He wasn't wanting to win debates and explain deep theological truths. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's bad to not to study for the sake of deep theological truth. But deep theological truth ought to lead to deep practical application in our lives. And that's what the psalmist was after. Help me to understand what you're saying, what it means, so that I can take it and do it in my life. But it's not just an Old Testament idea. It's a New Testament idea too. Familiar passage. But we're to prove yourselves as doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looked at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. Now, just one thing at the the beginning, looking at the end. This person will be blessed in what he does. I bet all of us pray pretty regular for God to bless us. What is the path to blessing? An active doer is the person who is blessed in what they do. We want to experience God's blessings on our life. There is a sure path to doing it. Take God's Word and put it into practice. And we're supposed to. We're to prove. I like, uh, more familiar is be doers of the Word. But I do like this Bible's prove yourselves. Prove it. I mean, you say you're a disciple of Jesus. You say you live what the book says. Prove it. Prove it. Let, Let your life prove that you're a doer of the word and not merely a hearer, right? If, and I think that's an important point because if we're truly doers of the word, we don't have to tell people we're doers of the word, do we? We, we do it and they see that we do it. They can see what we're doing. They can see how God is changing us. They can see the difference it's making. We prove and we don't have to tell. We always have to understand we're supposed to go beyond hearing. And beyond knowing, to doing. If we hear, but don't do, we run the risk of deceiving ourselves. Fooling ourselves into thinking our knowledge is enough. That's a form of self-deception. Well, I I know what it says, but I don't have to do what it says. One example of this, a story... uh, pastor I, I frequently listen to said he he said imagine I told my daughter now Rachel go clean your room and have it cleaned before I come home at five and he comes home at five she hasn't cleaned her room and he says Rachel what, what did I tell you she said oh listen listen you said Rachel go clean your room and have it cleaned before I get home at five see I memorized it In fact, I had my friends come over at lunch and we talked about what it would mean for me to go clean my room and have it done in five. And and they memorized it, too. I taught them to memorize it, too. He said, now, she knew all of that. She memorized all of that. She quoted all of that. But she didn't actually clean her room. Was what she did pleasing? Of course, the answer is no. Well, it's the same with God's word. It's good that we memorize it. It's good that we know what it says. It's good that we can share it with others and help them memorize it and learn it. But all of that knowledge has got to to get us up and get us to do the things that it says to do. Once we have heard what God's Word says, we are then responsible to put it into practice. Now, to be a doer of the Word, to prove ourselves doers of the Word, means we have to be teachable. If we are convinced we already have it all together. If we are convinced that we are have already arrived, we know everything there is to know, we, have, we are doing everything there is to do, and everything we believe is spot on, perfectly, nuanced down, exactly right, the reality is we're not teachable. At that point, We'll approach God's Word with the wrong attitude. We won't approach it as God's Word is the authority and we're here to learn from God about how to live and what to do. Instead, we'll come to God's Word with the attitude of, I'm already right. Confirm it to me, God. Show me how right I am. Make me feel good and show me that I am always right. And we won't want to be challenged We won't want to be confronted and we won't want to be changed. And as we'll see next week, we desperately need God's word to confront us. We desperately need God's word to challenge us. We desperately need God's word to change us. A prideful attitude as we come to God's word will always result with hearing, but not doing. Again, at the end of James up there not to be a forgetful hearer but an active doer in fact he says to look intently at the perfect law and be an active doer this means hearing and doing isn't a one time event we we constantly look into god's word for anything that needs to be changed in our lives we constantly seek For God to use his word to transform us and make us more like Jesus. And this constant looking and constant doing is what Jesus is talking about in our main text here. He's not talking about a one time hearing and doing. He is talking about we build the foundation through consistency. We build the foundation by consistently hearing the Word, consistently acting on it, consistently proving ourselves to be doers of the Word. It takes consistency to build our lives on God's Word. And God's Word is the only foundation, the only solid foundation for our lives. It is Critically important that we hear God's word, but it is just as important that we obey God's word. In many ways, I believe we can measure the effectiveness of our time in God's word by the effect it has upon our values and our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, our speech and our life in general. How effective has God's word been in my life? Well, what am I changing? What am I doing differently? What am I believing differently? How am I acting differently because of my time in God's word? But as we're looking at this passage, one of the things I noticed is there's something else we can measure. By the effect God's word is having on our values and priorities and our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, our speech and our life in general. We can also measure whether or not we have surrendered our lives to Jesus as Lord. Look at what Jesus says to start this passage, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That is a plain statement. It doesn't require a lot of explanation. Why bother saying Jesus is Lord over our lives if we're not going to show Jesus is Lord over our lives? As disciples of Jesus, obedience to Jesus through God's Word is not optional. It is a a basic part of what it means to be born again. To be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our obedience... Or, our lack of obedience, it reveals who we consider to be Lord over our lives. If Jesus is Lord, then we do what He says. But if I am Lord, then I do what I will. And I deceive myself by being a hearer and not a doer. In many ways, It is hypocritical for us to call ourselves born-again disciples of Jesus and then not do what He says to do. Again, remember, this was the error of the Pharisees. It wasn't that they didn't know God's Word. They did. They knew it better than anyone alive other than Jesus. The error was they weren't doing it. They were being hearers but not doers and had deceived themselves. But not only is saying I'm a born-again disciple of Jesus and not living under the lordship of Jesus hypocritical, according to God's Word, according to Jesus, it's an unloving attitude to have. Look at what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The one who has my commandments and keep them that's the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words. The word you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And again those are clear. They don't require a lot of explanation. If we love him. We keep his word. If we don't keep his word. It's because we don't love him. I mean that that is as clear as anything in the New Testament in God's word is and could possibly be. But one pastor explains this and he says to call Jesus Lord. And not do what he says is to make the word meaningless. Make the word Lord meaningless. He he continued and he said, Years ago, I heard a preacher illustrate this point by asking people to write two words on a note card. The two words were No and Lord. The preacher told us those two words could not stand side by side. We would have to cross one of those words out. He said, if there is any area of your life where you say no to Jesus, then you must cross out the word Lord. But if you call Him Lord, then you must forever cross out the word no. The only way to serve Jesus as Lord is to submit to His Word in every area of life. Obedience to Jesus from God's Word is an essential requirement to Christian discipleship. However, we have to keep in mind our obedience does not earn God's favor. It does not earn God's forgiveness. It does not earn God's acceptance. No one obeys their way into heaven. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Always. But the faith that saves never stays alone. When our faith is genuine, our obedience will be natural. To me, I think that makes sense. If everything we say we believe is truly what we believe, I mean, if we believe that there is a God in heaven who existed independently and alone and then one day decided there ought to be stuff and spoke that stuff into existence and then decided there ought to be people on the stuff he created and grabbed a handful of dirt and breathed into it to make it alive. If, if that God, if, that, if we are descendants of that, that man from the dirt, then we owe that God our ultimate allegiance just by virtue of who He is. But He's more than Creator. We, we have all shook our fist at Him and said, I will not do what you have commanded. No one will be Lord over my life. And rather than smiting us, and giving us the judgment we so richly deserve, He came up with a plan for our salvation that involved His Son dying the death we deserve, so that His Son could give us His righteousness and spare us from the awful wrath to come. Now, if that's a true story, and that is truly what I believe. How could I not give that Creator God and that Savior Lord my ultimate allegiance and the mark off no and do everything He wants me to do no matter what it would be? It doesn't make sense to live otherwise. That's why the Apostle Paul after spending 11 chapters detailing the greatness of the gospel and God's plan begins by therefore, because of all that God has done, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to reasonable service, some translations say. What he's saying is, in light of everything I talked about in those 11 chapters, this is the only rational response if we have believed all of that. When our faith is genuine in all of that, our obedience will be natural. Now, that doesn't mean it will be easy. I'm not saying that. Being a Christian is difficult. Being a disciple is difficult. But it will be natural. We will want to obey. We will be grieved when we fall short and do not do the things that He wants us to do. We will not be able to live in rebellion against what He has said and be unbothered by it if we genuinely believe these truths. Jesus is Lord. That is who He is. And since Jesus is Lord... We must obey his word. And this obedience to him, though, is for our good. Because that obedience forms the only solid foundation for our lives that they can be built on. And if we obey his word, which is for our good. And it becomes the foundation of our lives. We will be able to stand against the storms of life. That absolutely will come. Every other foundation. Will fail us. In the storm. Every other foundation is shifting and sinking sand. So. Knowing. Jesus is Lord and our Redeemer. We obey Him. Knowing that His Word is the only solid foundation, that it is the only good ground we can build our lives on, we obey Him. We we do it because of who He is and what it gives us as we put it into practice. God's Word is not a matter of just do it because I said it. It is a matter of do it because this is best. And you know it's best because I said it. So the question to end is. On what foundation. Are our lives built. Let's pray. Our father we love you tonight. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your word. Help us, Father. Oh, Lord, I I doubt we would have gotten out on a night like tonight if we weren't eager to have your words the foundation of our lives. Just sort of use this tonight, Lord, to renew our commitment to that. Use this tonight to... To light a fire within us. A stronger burning fire for your word within us. Use this tonight to challenge us on anything that we need to be challenged about. Use this tonight to encourage us. To keep on keeping on if this is what the way we've been living. Use this tonight to encourage us. To remind us it's worth it. Use this tonight to elevate our view of you our Creator God, elevate our view of Jesus as Lord over our lives. Have Your way in all things. Our lives are open before You tonight. Search us and try us and see if there's anything that weakens that foundation of Your Word in our lives. Convict us of it. Lead us to repent of it and renounce it and remove it from our lives, whatever it may be. We ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen.